Hey, this is Dan and Ian beaming ourselves in from the future. Can I get a little sci-fi sound effect? <laughs> That's right. The, the Through the miracle of modern technology, we are beaming ourselves back to this episode, which originally aired on April 1st, 2013. In the West, especially American bloggers, we love a little convention called April Fool's Day. Rob and Mike did an excellent job hosting our podcast, but we are Ian and Dan, and we are the actual hosts of the Lifestyle Business Podcast, just playing a little jokey joke on you guys. Anyway, this is a great episode, so check it out, and uh, we'll see you in the future. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Business Podcast, where we believe building a business is the best way to create more personal freedom and opportunity in your life. Today, I'm joined by my captain, my co-hostess with the mostess, the man who puts the shark into audit shark. Hey, everybody. This is Mike. In the last episode, Dan and Ian mentioned that they wanted to sell their businesses and start to think big. And that's why we're here. They sold the brand Lifestyle Business to us, and they're moving on to bigger ideas. For a really long time, Rob and I have espoused the portfolio approach, and now the LBP is just one more line item in the Micropreneur Academy portfolio. And at this point, I think Dan and Ian are in Tahiti or something like that, leaving it up on the cash we infused. Yeah, if you haven't heard of us before, I'm Rob Walling, and this is Mike Tabor, and we co-host a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. And uh, as Mike just said, we have now taken over the LBP as well. So, uh, you know, I think we cut the chit-chat, and we get right into the meat and potatoes. Today, we're going to be talking about five tips for managing software projects. And the first tip that we have is you need to be specific about the features that you're looking for. Know what your application should do and document this using a wireframing tool like Balsamic. You can use Camtasia Studio or Jing or something along those lines to walk through the wireframe and really describe it to whoever it is that you're handing this application uh, development effort off to. And this is really much, much more effective than describing it in a document because documents tend to be boring and people skim them. And when people skim technical documents, they miss details and you don't want them to do that. So by giving them a screencast walkthrough, you're giving them a lot of the high level details that they need and and a thorough understanding of the project that you're asking them to undertake. And then when they go through and they're actually implementing it, they slow down a little bit and they need to say, okay, well, what is the text on this screen supposed to be? They can go into the written document documentation and look at that. But you don't want to hand them just this giant uh, 50-page document that is just a a wall of text that they're going to end up skimming and they're going to miss a lot of the important details that you're going to cover in your screencast. Yeah, if you're listening to this right now, you might be wondering, well, what what are they? What are Robin and I talking about here? What kind of software projects are we really, you know, going to be going to be running through here with these five tips? And if you need a WordPress plugin built, or you want to build a, a web application, any type of software, uh, even like a WordPress theme, something that you want to resell to other people or use internally, that's what these five tips are going to help you get done most efficiently. And what Mike just touched on is to be extremely specific about the features you. want want build. And there's a fine balance here between having a, a software developer that you trust, that you already have a relationship with, and that you know they make good decisions when they build apps. Because if you have someone like that, you can be less specific. You can just say, I want a page that does X. I want it to edit the user's profile. And they can go off and do it and you know that, and trust that they're going to do a good job. 
However, if you're working with a developer for the first time, you've hired them on Odesk, you've hired them through a recommendation, you're kind of dealing with an unknown quantity, and that's where you, you really need to lay out every little bit and how you want it to work using, as Mike said, a wireframing tool like Balsamic or a screencast to walk through it. So the second tip that we have is get a firm commitment on timeframes. Timeframes tend to slip all the time, especially when it comes to software development products. And this can happen for a variety of reasons. People get busy, their schedules change, they have different clients that they're working with. Sometimes you just run into technical problems and they just take longer than you think they do. So you can try to get a firm commitment up front. And then what you need to do is you need to adjust that time commitment as needed and as the project moves along. What you don't want to do and the very last thing that you want to do is just say, hey, I need this done. You know, please, let's get this done as quickly as possible. Because that generally does not work. What you really need to do is hand them off the specification, ask for a time commitment, ask for a time estimate, and then work that into a schedule and try and figure out how long it's really going to take. And developers are notorious for overestimating their abilities and underestimating how long things are going to take. Yeah, just like any hiring any contractor to, to redo your kitchen or, or to work on your house, they are notoriously bad at, at choosing when they're actually going to be able to get it done, at predicting that. And so that's something, getting a firm date up front and getting that in writing, even if it's just in an email that you can refer back to, you know, even if it's not some, some super official contract that you sign, uh, getting them to commit to that in writing and then updating that as you make choices. Let's say you make a choice to add a new page or add a new feature, ask for uh, a, an updated delivery date. From, from that developer and keep that running total because not having a, a delivery date, not having one that's, that's up to date, it just means you're, you're running in the dark and you will likely be disappointed. I, if you think a project's going to take a month and you don't have a delivery date, it's very likely it can take two, three, four months and the developer, having not committed to anything, has no motivation to really uh, hunker down and try to get it done in, in the time frame that you want. But that's never happened to us. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. I mean, it, this happens all the time. And that's why we're talking about this is because we have learned from that, right? I mean, we've learned from these exact mistakes. So the third tip is to set up weekly progress reviews. In other words, do not set it and forget it. And a very good weekly status report includes three things. It includes what did you accomplish this past week? It includes what do you plan to do this coming week? And the third one is what ongoing or new questions, comments, open issues, or concerns do you have? And this is addressed specifically to the to the developer. Because what you don't want to have is that developer runs into some major issue and you're planning a launch date in eight weeks and the sixth or seventh week, they come up with something that, oh, by the way, this is going to be a problem and it's going to take six more weeks to finish. You don't want that to happen. The other thing you should make clear to them is that if there are important things like that that are going to come up, don't save it for that weekly status report. Have them email it to you immediately. Because those are the types of issues that you need to know about immediately so that you can adjust the other things that you're working on. I've actually worked on projects, managed projects, with developers who I'm unfamiliar with, and I will have a daily five-minute progress reviews. So it's basically the same three questions that Mike just brought up that, that I would ask the developer every morning. And, and of course, by the fifth day, they already knew what, you know, uh, that I was going to ask all these. And so they would just answer them right away. But we would do either a five-minute Skype chat or we would do just an instant message chat. And until I had a comfort level with them and I knew that they were delivering things on time, uh, that's when I backed off to the weekly 
to the weekly progress reviews. And now with developers that I that I work with, that I they are a known quantity, and I know that they're going to deliver good product uh, and and make good decisions. That's where I've stepped back to weekly. But something to keep in mind is that software projects, much like construction projects or or building anything that's extremely complex, it's never set it and forget it, right? Until you have a, a great working relationship with someone you trust and have worked with them for a year or two, it's not set it and forget it. And so it's it's a lot more, it's going to take a lot more of your ongoing work, even if you outsource all of the develop, development, it's going to take a lot more of your, of your project management effort than you probably realize at the start if you've never managed a software project before. And I have to be honest, as a developer, when I was going through and, and building different projects, this is one of those things that I really hated because it, it held me to be accountable for my actions. And there are some developers who can handle this type of thing and some who can't. And that kind of leads us into number four, which is to hire fast and fire faster. Make sure that you develop some SOPs, which Dan and Ian had talked about before, which is your standard operating procedures for these developers. If they can't follow these directions or if they forget, make sure that you're issuing corrections and issue those corrections as close as possible to when they deviate from them. If the bad behavior continues, you need to find somebody who can follow directions. Some of the things that you really need to provide these people are an intro guide to the tools that you're using, daily check-ins so that you can see when and where things are starting to go wrong, and you need to provide them with some sort of a project management management software like either Fogbugs from Fog Creek Software or Basecamp uh, from 37 Signals or OnTime from Axosoft, or you can use any of Atlassian's tools like Jira and Confluence, which are also, you know, they, they have a lot of different software tools out there, but you need to pick and choose the tools that you're going to use and then make sure that those are available for the developers that you're hiring. And then make sure that they are using them in the way that you want them to. Because the, the, what you don't want to do is hand them off a source control system for the software that they're working on so that they can check it in and get backups and everything like that. And if they're not using it, you don't see what's going on. And what you really need is that visibility to be able to see what they're doing, when they're doing it. Um, and, and in some ways, it provides that accountability that you're not going to see in that status report. There's an old adage in the software world, and or it's actually in the startup space, and it's hire slow, fire fast. And what we've said here is hire fast, fire faster. Because we're, we're not talking about W-2 employees that you're looking to build a company on. We're talking about hiring a contractor. And you can spend a lot of time vetting developers, right, on Odesk or any other uh, medium online marketplace. And the what, what it comes down to is that no matter how good their resume looks, no matter how good their email responses are, until they're actually building something for you, until you're working with them day to day, it's almost impossible to know how they're actually how how they're actually going to pan out. And so that's why we say here to hire fast, and that means you know get to the point where they're actually building something for you as quickly as possible, and then. If things go awry, like Mike said, if if they aren't following your SOPs or they aren't sticking to the to the plan and they aren't hitting their deadlines, then you need to you need to pull the, the ripcord pretty quick and go back to your your list, right? If if you had forty people to start with, you narrowed it down to your top three or five candidates. You hire one of them fairly quickly and you get them going and you see how they're doing. You have to monitor it very closely and, and watch this project. And then uh, if they're not working out, then you go back to those top three candidates and, you know, you, you try it out with the next one. So what you just said there was, or, you know, we are focused specifically on contractors, but there's something else that kind of plays into this as well. And, th- and, th- and that's the future of the application, whatever it is that you're building afterwards. Why don't you talk a little bit about number five, which is planning on an ongoing relationship with these contractors? Yeah, if if you've never built software before, it, the interesting thing that most people don't realize is that 
as much time is needed to build an app, you typically need that much time over the first year to maintain the app. So if it takes one person month of work in to, to build it, then you're probably going to need one person month of work over the following year, assuming you're not making a lot of, of feature additions. That's assuming there's not really ongoing development. It's just some minor tweaks and, and bug fixes. And in fact, there there have been studies, there's been all type of research on this, and over 80% of maintenance cost is used for things other than bug fixes. And so no matter no matter how good the software is when you launch it, the odds are that you are going to have quite a bit of, of maintenance cost, just adding features, tweaking things, making it a little more usable. Each of these things makes your business more successful. But as a result, you know, you need a developer who's going to stick around because you can't just plan on them being there for a month, building this app, handing it off, and, and being, you can sell it forever, right? This is not an ebook. It's not an info product. It's not something that, that you've manufactured and sold once. It's software and it needs ongoing help. So if it takes a month or two to build something, you might need to maintain that thing for years. And as a result, maintaining an ongoing relationship with a, a developer is critical. Obviously, they're not going to work full time for you for all that time, but maintaining that good relationship so that they can come back in for an hour or two as needed and help you out and make some changes and make some tweaks, it's hard to find people who will do that. But if you have a good relationship with them, they're much more likely to do it. And it just it will work out uh, really, really much better for you in the end if you have the original developer who built it making those adjustments for you. So think hard about how to how to turn this into an ongoing relationship rather than just a one time transaction. And during the course of working with them, there there are certainly some warning signs that you can look for to determine whether or not you're going to be able to establish this long-term ongoing relationship with them. First one is if they go missing without warning for more than a couple of days. If someone goes missing over the weekend, that's generally to be expected. I mean, people... Most people do not work over the weekends. Entrepreneurs tend to be in a different boat, I'll say. But you know, you need to set expectations up front with the developers that you're bringing on board because they are contractors, but you, know, you want them to be moving your project forward. The second thing is that if they're not following your SOPs, if they're not following them, you have to be issuing those corrections. And again, if they continue to, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, defy your expectations, then you have to either correct them or let them go and move on to somebody else who is going to. The third one is if they miss multiple deadlines without a good explanation. And as I said before, developers are notorious for providing bad estimates. And there's all these software out there there's all this software out there that will help with that sort of thing, and there are studies that try to address those underlying issues, but as a general rule, developers are just bad at making estimates, and part of it has to do with technology, part of it has to do with uh, overestimating their own abilities, and another part of it has to do with the fact that sometimes it just takes longer than you think it will to get through some of these bugs. So. All of that combined means that they're probably going to miss their estimates. However, if they give you a deadline and say, hey, I'll have this uploaded by tomorrow, and then they don't do it, and they do this three or four times, and they continue to make commitments, and then they fail to follow through on those commitments, especially for short-term commitments, that's when you might want to think about trying to find somebody else. I think that wraps up our meat and potatoes. Let's move into the tips, tricks, and or funny joke section. Mike, you have a tip for us this week? Absolutely. So don't buy hardware or software for managing your software products. 
rent it. Uh, most software vendors offer their software as a service for a monthly fee. You do not want to be in the business of running your own infrastructure, especially when you're early on in your business. Pay somebody else to deal with those issues because you can easily burn tons of time and effort fixing technical problems or glitches with your own servers. The fact is that time is money. And in fact, time is exponentially greater importance than money. I think that about wraps up this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.